Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lowyer, your host. On this particular Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we focus on, for the gospel, the story of Zacchaeus. Remember, the tax collector went up in the tree because he was short of stature to see Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to come to your home tonight and have dinner with you. And everybody is scandalized because Jesus, the holy man, the holy Jewish man, is seeking company with someone who was hated by the Jewish people, and that was a tax collector. And of course, you know the story, there was a great conversion by Zacchaeus towards Christ. He gave back all that he owed people, all that he robbed them from and fleeced them from as a tax collector, which is one of the reasons tax collectors were hated back then. And this story is put before us at this time because it's the first distant echo of the oncoming season of Lent. And in the Eastern churches, we have a preparatory period for Lent. Lent, of course, prepares us for the resurrection, but then there's a period that prepares us for Lent, for the great fast. And this is one of the themes that prepares us. It's the first theme. It's a theme of desire, that we first must desire Christ. We must desire to become holy before we start out on the rigors of the great fast, you know, the fasting and the increased prayer, the repentance, and yes, the going to confession and increased works of charity. But also this week, as we look at this week, certainly in the civil sphere, we have the celebration, the observance of Martin Luther King. I would call him a civil saint. In other words, in the civil sphere, he is obviously highly regarded for what he did, standing up for what was right, standing up for justice, and he did so in a very powerful way, but yet in a very peaceful and moral way, kind of on the edge which is something that we now admire in our culture. Many cities have streets that are renamed after him. Martin Luther King Boulevard is found in most of the big cities across America. Well, just as we have a what I call a civil saint, in the church's liturgical calendar, and in particular the one in the Byzantine church, my church, we have a number of saints this week, and they're very powerful saints, and they're all having to do with, in one way or another, monasticism. 
For example, we're celebrating, just to give you a few ideas here, we have the veneration of the change of St. Peter. That's a little bit different than the rest of the observances this week, but it is a special one. But we also have a couple of great figures from monasticism, Anthony the Great, Athanasius and Cyril, they were archbishops, also monks, and then Macarius, and then Euthemius the Great. Now, we're going to look at some of these saints because this is just such a rich week. I I just would hate to pass it up. It's a rich week in monastic figures of not civil saints, but liturgical, spiritual, ecclesial saints. And one of the reasons why this is significant is because we've got a series of saints this week in our calendar, and they all have to do with monasticism. And monasticism is one of the two great pillars of Eastern spirituality. Eastern spirituality is based upon a monastic life, a monastic discipline, and also a liturgical one. And the particular worship that we have in the Eastern churches is really a sort of a fusion of the two. There were liturgical services that developed at the great church, Hagia Sophia, which means holy wisdom in Constantinople, which is now modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. There was a great liturgical tradition that developed there and other parts of the Eastern churches as well, but that was one of the main ones. And that liturgical tradition that developed there was combined over time with the monastic disciplines, and one influenced the other. So in the Byzantine style of worship, you have basically a a blend of monastic observances and also the liturgies from the great church of Hagia Sophia. And we put those together in what we call the Tipicon. The Tipicon is the guide of how to, well, it's the how-to of, of, of liturgical worship. In other words, what kinds of services we take when, what we take within those services, the order of readings, and so on. So it's the great guidebook. And the Tipicon actually has a number of sources. There was actually several Tipicons, but basically there's one that's primarily used in the Byzantine churches, and that one, again, is a kind of a combination of the previous ancient Tipicons. They were written by different saints and practiced in monasteries and cathedrals, but eventually we put those two together and we have the Tipicon that we know today in the Eastern churches. Well, in this Tipicon, which again mentions the saints of the day, the, the liturgical events, the feast days, we'll look at this one first. Anthony the Great, Anthony, or also called Anthony the Venerable. And Anthony was really the father of monasticism. The Western church received monasticism from the East, largely in the person of people like St. Benedict and also St. John Cassian. And then what happened in the West, which didn't happen in the East, there were developments from that that became what we know today as religious orders. In the East, we didn't develop religious orders. What they developed was just monasticism. And they would gather around certain particular leaders or saints. It wasn't that the discipline was very different, but there was certain emphasis from the spirituality of that leader. And so in the West, there was a development of religious orders, friars, third orders, things like that. But they all have their roots in Eastern monasticism, which started in the deserts of Egypt. And it started with a figure, he's not the only one, but he's one of the principal figures at this time, is St. Anthony the Great. Now I'm going to read from a couple of great sources here, ones that I want you to be familiar with. I've used them here from time to time on our program. One is called the Prologue from Okrid. It's also referred to as the Synaxarian. It's a great, great set. I have it as a four-volume set. It's sometimes condensed into two volumes. 
but it's the day-to-day stories of the particular saint on the liturgical calendar for that day. And it has a marvelous history of these saints and also some of their sayings and also some wonderful reflections. So I'm going to refer to that source. The other source I'm going to refer you to is a great book called The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. It's the alphabetical collection. It's translated by Benedicta Ward, a foreword by Metropolitan Anthony. Now, this is a, a classic. It's very similar to another classic set of books called the Philokalia. The Philokalia. Now, that you talk about something really classic in Eastern spirituality. If you want to know Eastern Christian spirituality, you've got to read the Philokalia, which is basically a collection. I have it as a three-volume set. It's a collection of sayings and the lives of these great monks. And it's just filled with tremendous amounts of wisdom and insight into their lives. And one of the things to do in the Eastern churches, and this is something I would recommend to you in your homes, especially now, you know, we've come through the the great holy days of renewal and regeneration, you know, Christmas and now Theophany and Epiphany and so on. We're going to look towards the feast days and the time of repentance, but we've come through renewal, which means we should be doing things different. We've also had the New Year's resolutions that hopefully you've made and perhaps have broken already. (laughs) But what we can do is renew a particular practice that is done in monasteries. And remember, we emphasize here on this program the domestic church, which means we take what is done in the liturgy, in the church, and in monasteries, and we stretch it into our homes as much as we can. So one of the things that I recommend for homes, and this would really change your home life, it would help your marriages, the family atmosphere, everything. It's just one of the most valuable things you can do. And unfortunately today, it's a challenge to do this. It's a rare thing to literally gather as a family, as a household for at least one meal a day, ideally for supper time. And do what they do in the monasteries, have silence. And as people are eating, someone reads. They read from the Bible, or from a book like this one, The Sayings of the Desert Fathers, or the Synaxarian, the prologue of Okrad that I'm going to read from today. Also the Philokalia. And what this does is it provides not just, well, as you're having physical nourishment as you're eating, it provides a marvelous spiritual nourishment. You'll find that if you develop this discipline in your homes, you're going to find that wow, you're going to realize, gee, we do an awful lot of useless chatter. Or if we aren't speaking much to each other because we're all in our own little worlds with our little iPhones and so on, we don't speak enough to one another about what really matters. And so this discipline of having some quiet time during the meal. Now, you may not want to do it all during the meal because you want to have some time for some worthy discussion. But at least for the first few minutes of the meal, have that meal in silence, have everybody listen to someone who is designated to read from things like the saying of the Desert Fathers. And I'm going to explain to you, as you'll see, when I read from these books, why this is so important, why this is so fascinating, why this is so intriguing, why it is so nutritious for us spiritually. So we're going to take a little journey here through the some of the great monastics that are being put before our eyes in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church this week as we get the first little echo of the coming of the period of the Great Fast, which, of course, is our experience of monasticism, our repentance, our ascetical disciplines. So it's very appropriate that we look at these great monks from the Eastern tradition. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loyup and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. Before we go any further, I just want to say hello to a couple of very special people in my life. One is my mother, Martha, and my aunt, Natalie Martha. They're very faithful listeners here to Light of the East, listening to it as they come back home from church on Sunday. So I want to say hello to mom and to my aunt, Natalie Martha Loya. As I mentioned before the break, we have this tremendous week in which we focus on some of the great monastics, and boy, they are just such cherished figures in the Eastern churches. The first one, of course, as I mentioned, Anthony the Great. He was an Egyptian, born about 250 AD in a village, and after the death of his rich and noble parents, he shared his inherited possessions with his sister, and then he gave away half of his inheritance to the poor at the age of 20. He consecrated himself to the life of asceticism. Asceticism, of course, means that rigorous life of prayer, fasting, abstinence. He did this at the age of 20, consecrated himself to the life of asceticism that he had desired from childhood. At first, he lived near his own village, but then in order to escape the disturbance of men, he went off into the desert on the shores of the Red Sea, where he spent 20 years as a hermit in company with no one but God in unceasing prayer, pondering, and contemplation patiently undergoing inexpressible demonic temptations. 
You see, monasticism is not an escape. It's actually a movement into the battle with evil. Okay, I'll continue. His fame spread through the world, and around him he gathered many disciples, whom he, by word and example, placed on the path of salvation. In 85 years of ascetic life, 85, he went only twice to Alexandria, the first time to seek martyrdom during a time of persecution of the church, and the second at the invitation of St. Athanasius to refute the Arianism, the slanderous allegations that he too was a follower of the Arian heresy. So he went to defend himself and also St. Athanasius the Great, who later on wrote a story of St. Anthony the Great. Now, notice something here. Anthony went off the desert at a young age to live a life of what we would call white martyrdom. And then he only left the desert because he was going to experience what he thought would be blood martyrdom. Imagine this desire for martyrdom on the part of this young man. Because he did not have it in terms of blood martyrdom, that's why he went out to the desert to have what we call white martyrdom. In fact, this is how monasticism started. Imagine, people are actually disappointed that they would not die as martyrs because Christianity began to be legalized and the persecutions began to ease up. They would recur from time to time in different places. They're even around today. But by and large, the persecutions eased up. Christians were freer to celebrate and observe their faith. So people like Anthony were actually disappointed that he wasn't going to shed his blood for Christ. So they did so in what's called a white martyrdom. In other words, it's still a death. It's still a dying to self, but it would be without blood. So he went to seek both. Okay, we're going to continue with his story. Anthony departed this life at the age of 105, leaving behind a whole army of disciples and followers. And although Anthony was unlettered, he was, as a counselor and teacher, one of the most learned men of his age. So also was St. Athanasius the Great. Now, when some Hellenic philosophers, those were Greek philosophers, tried to test him with literary learning, Anthony shamed them with the question, which is older, the understanding or the book? And which of these is the source of the other? The shame philosophers dispersed, but they saw that they had only book learning without understanding, while Anthony had understanding. Here was a man who would attain perfection insofar as a man is able to on earth. Here was an educator of educators and teacher of teachers who for a whole 85 years perfected himself and only thus was able to perfect many others. Full of years and great works, Anthony entered into rest in the Lord in the year 356 AD. So you see how early on, the Christians began to take to the deserts for this white martyrdom. Let's, let's listen to now from the sayings of the Desert Fathers, some of the great wisdom and example of St. Anthony the Great. Now, in the book, they refer to him as Abba Anthony. Abba, of course, means father. That's how they refer to monks, especially elder monks, in the Eastern monastic tradition as Abba. When the holy Abba Anthony lived in the desert, he was beset by Achidia. Now, Chidia means a temptation to, well, become kind of lazy, kind of sullen, kind of uh, vulnerable to temptation or spiritual laxity. That's what's called a Chidia. And he was attacked by many sinful thoughts. He said to God, Lord, I want to be saved, but these thoughts do not leave me alone. What shall I do in my affliction? How can I be saved? 
A short while afterwards, when he got up to go out, Anthony saw a man like himself sitting at his work, getting up from his work to pray, and then sitting down and plaiting a rope, then getting up to pray again. It was an angel of the Lord sent to correct and reassure him. He heard the angel saying to him, Do this, and you will be saved. At these words, Anthony was filled with joy and courage. He did this, and he was saved. Someone once asked Anthony, What must one do in order to please God? The old man replied, Pay attention to what I tell you. Whoever you may be, always have God before your eyes. Whatever you do, do it according to the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. In whatever place you live, do not easily leave it. Keep these three precepts, and you will be saved. Abba Anthony said to Abba Piman, now Piman was another great monastic at that time, he said, This is the great work of a man always to take the blame for his own sins before God and to expect temptations to his last breath. He also said, whoever has not experienced temptation cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He even added, without temptations, no one can be saved. Now, isn't that interesting? We sometimes think of a saint as someone who was above it all, never tempted, Remember, even Jesus Christ was tempted. There is no fault in being tempted. In fact, as St. Anthony says here, that's how you become holy. You you have to go up against something, something greater than yourself, something that you really find to be challenging. It's in that choice to be faithful, to be holy, that we grow in holiness. It's not being above temptation. Okay, Abba Pambo, that's another great saint of the desert. Abba Pambo asked Abba Anthony, what ought I to do? And the old man said to him, do not trust in your own righteousness. Do not worry about the past, but control your tongue and your stomach. He also said, some have afflicted their bodies by asceticism, but they lack discernment. And so they are far from God. Our life and our death is with our neighbor. If we gain our brother, we have sinned. If we gain our brother, we have gained God. But if we scandalize our brother, we have sinned against Christ. He also said, He who wishes to live in solitude in the desert is delivered from three conflicts, hearing, speech, and sight. There's only one conflict for him, and that is with fornication. Well, that's a good one for today. And this, when he said about the conflicts, hearing, speech, and sight, it's one of the reasons that monks went out to the desert to avoid all the things that are distractions. They're unnecessary. That's why the monks wouldn't speak much. They wanted solitude. They wanted quiet. So they would hear their own inner soul come to grips with their own temptations, their own, their own challenges spiritually. In our day and age, we really need this monastic discipline because we're, we're just inundated with din, Sometimes when I say that, people don't know what din means. Din means useless, constant noise, just irritating noise. It's just always there in the background. Ever notice that? We have that everywhere. People can't seem to exist without noise. Sometimes I go to people's homes, visit the sick and so on, and the television is constantly on. You go to their hospital rooms, visit them in a hospital. The TV is constantly on. Even if they don't want it on, sometimes they can't even figure out how to turn it off. You go to pull up at a gas station, the gas pumps have a screen there, or music playing, advertisements, always something coming at us that's either visual or audio din, useless data, 
always distracting us. You know what else it does? It drowns out two voices. It drowns out the voice of ourselves, our own voice, that can really be indicting, you know, our conscience. We don't want to hear what we have to improve on, what's wrong and sinful about us. And the second voice it drowns out is the voice of God. You know, God usually doesn't shout at us or shout within us. Sometimes he does. Most of the time his voice is very quiet. It's very gentle. You have to listen for it. But we cover all this, our own voice, the voice of God, with this din. Well, people like Abba Anthony taught us something. We've got to go through life with these ascetical disciplines wherein we have more silence, more listening to ourselves, our inner selves, our souls, our conscience, and listening to the voice of God. So we have to scrape away all this excess. And that's why looking at these saints and this scripture verse for Sunday in the Byzantine church, the story of Zacchaeus, why looking at these things is very providential and very wise, very handy, very practical for us as we look forward in a few weeks to the season of the great fast. We do become, or should become, good monks. But we have examples of people like St. Anthony of the Desert. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loyal on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Dr. Greg Popchak. And Lisa Popchak. This is Chris Stefanik, host of Real Life Catholic. This is Archbishop Samuel Aquila from the Archdiocese of Denver. And thank you for listening to EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!